Welcome to California Ballot Breakdown from KPFA, where we take you through the races down the ballot, the money behind the campaigns, give everyone enough time to make their best argument, and try to get them off their talking points. Today, stopping the violent crimes as well as the rampant property crimes. Those are my basic priorities. The abuse of the government in um, in not addressing mental health, uh, not addressing addiction, uh, and not addressing homelessness. Easy to get a, a conviction and um, a jail sentence out of a case, but at the end of that, that's not doing anything to un- address the underlying causes of the crime. San Francisco is going through a special election for district attorney because the last one got recalled halfway through his term. We'll talk to the people who dove in to replace him, most of them at least, and to Joe Eskenazi from Mission Local about the appointed incumbent who is facing an ethics complaint while running for the office she holds and wouldn't schedule an interview. That's what's coming up on the California Ballot Breakdown. Hey, a quick note on what you're about to hear. These candidate interviews all happened live on KPFA's Upfront the morning of Tuesday, October 11th. This is the morning after ballots hit the mail in California, and we picked it as our first election segment because ever since the recall of Chesa Boudin, national media have turned the San Francisco District Attorney's Office into kind of a proxy battlefield for questions over crime and criminal justice reform policy. Now, the one candidate we could not get to book an interview with us is the mayoral appointee who currently holds the office, Brooke Jenkins. We'll speak about her campaign and her positions at the end of the segment with Joe Eskenazi, the editor of the nonprofit newsroom Mission Local. All right, let's go to the radio. We'll start this morning with Maurice Chenier, currently a partner at the firm Resnick and Lewis. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to address my candidacy on your radio station. Thanks for joining us. Um, I want to start with basics, Maurice. I I couldn't find a campaign website for you with a platform. What are your priorities going to be if you're elected? Well, addressing the imminent issues, for example... Uh, by the way, I do have a website. It's easy to find, Chenier for DF, for SFDA.com, number four, instead of the, spelling out the, the word. My uh, priorities will be uh, bringing the violent crimes and homicides to trial that have not been brought to trial for over 20 years, ending this uh, open-air drug market and stopping the violent crimes as well as the rampant property crimes. Those are my basic priorities. Uh, if you have another question, otherwise I'll keep going. I think let that- me let, let, let me follow up on that. Um, the DA's office has to prioritize. It's got limited staff time. What, what do you think you would be able to prosecute that is not currently being prosecuted? Oh, well, for example, uh, there are tons of cases where the DA's in the past and the various administrations since this progressive nonsense has started, they've just refused and abused their discretion with respect to prosecuting homicides and prosecuting serious cases. That's why Brooke Jenkins got into this race, and that's why she uh, was uh, appointed DA. There's a big mess going on over there. I'm here to clean it up. So I would use, with respect to resources, I would reallocate the staff we have, and if there's any dead weight, they would have to go, but... I guarantee you, if we put our mind to it, we can end 
this level of crime that's in Cal- in San Francisco, California. Uh, very simple. One of the quickest things you can do is to, if you have a probation violation or a parole violation, you can charge not only the, the violation but a, the new crime that has been committed. That has not been done traditionally in San Francisco ever since 2004. It started happening again after I complained about it in 2008, but they're back to the old, the old ways. We don't charge the uh, new crime that is in conjunction with the original uh, probation violation. So that's a simple way of addressing stuff without even costing any money. We just violate the probation. We charge the new crime. If it's a serious crime, we're not going to uh, try to violate someone for jaywalking, obviously. But if they've uh, committed a robbery or they've broken into a store or they've assaulted someone or committed a hate crime, I would say we have to charge them with two crimes at that point, both the probation violation and the new crime. So that's one simple way to address it right away without any cost and resources. A couple of minutes ago, you said this is the, the kind of thing that Brooke Jenkins was appointed to do as district attorney. Why are you running against her? Why do you want her out of office? Because she's not me. I have not just, I don't want her out of office. I want the best man in the office. And I am the best man. Well, I've been, well that I'm, disqualifies her because she's not a man. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's funny. I'm the best person for the office. What I'll say in terms of me being the best person, let's be clear. I'm, I've been fighting this since 2004. I didn't just start a few years ago. Okay. So I've been on the front page of the newspaper uh, criticizing the DA since 2005. Plain and simple. And I've been following this since 2004. 20 years of progressive prosecutions does not work. We need a new approach. So uh, I don't think it'll get to the level where I'm at, and I think her staffing choices make it impossible for her to deliver what she intends to deliver. And that means that some of the old dead weight uh, recycled bureaucrats who were in office back in 2005 who were uh, prohibiting and obstructing prosecutions are back in office right now in high positions. So it's not going to go anywhere. A couple of questions I'm going to be asking every candidate, and you get the first crack at them. Um, you, you said you want to prosecute homicides that are not currently being prosecuted. There, there are two pending prosecutions of San Francisco Police Department members. Uh, Christopher Samoya, who shot and killed Keto O'Neill, through the windshield of his car. O'Neill was unarmed. Kenneth Cha shot and killed Sean Moore, also unarmed. Would you continue with those prosecutions? Well, let me first say that I think homicide is the most serious crime there is. So in general, my position is all homicides must be prosecuted, whether the Pope commits it, whether the president commits it, whether you commit it, or whether I commit it. So with that in mind, uh, I generally seek to prosecute the homicide crimes. Now, as far as what the specifics with respect to the officers, I have read some information about it. I don't have enough information to say I would continue the prosecution. But if there is sufficient evidence, I am very supportive of the police, but I cannot condone homicide. So with that in mind, if there is sufficient evidence to support the prosecutions, and I will look at it immediately in the first 100 days, I plan to go back through all the instances where they've abused their discretion 
I'll look at it, and if I but, see But these are, these are prosecutions that are already underway. There was already sufficient evidence to convince a grand jury in both cases to, to bring uh, voluntary, involuntary manslaughter charges, uh, assault charges, and more. You're saying you would do go back and do another review of the evidence? Not only that, you have to do that just to work the case up. The grand jury is not enough to convict someone. You have to... Basically, would you would you do that review for every pending homicide or just the ones involving cops? I would do it for every homicide. As I said, the cops, as you call them cops, I call them police officers. It does not make a difference whether they're a police officer or astronaut. If they commit a crime as serious as homicide, I'm going to look at it with strict scrutiny, plain and simple. Second question, um, cash bail. Its use was eliminated by Chesa Boudin. Its status is a little bit more ambiguous under Brooke Jenkins. Would your your department as district attorney uh, charge people money to get out of jail? Okay. Well, let's be clear. The, the district attorney would never charge anyone anything. The city, county, and the state charges. The district attorney only makes recommendations. And I want to be clear, I think that the cash bail uh, argument and this whole pedantic discussion about it is uh, quite simply a red herring. Uh, it, ver- it ever, r- rarely ever comes up that someone is going to be denied bail because they don't have enough money. What ends up happening is, is the judge is the one who makes the determination. So we make the recommendations, the judge will look at it, and if the person is not a danger to society, they'll be back on the street. So the cash bail argument and 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 the considerations to place that as the burden of the district attorney is unfair, plain and simple. But so, you're, so your your office would be open to asking for cash bail in some cases? I would be open to enforcing the laws as currently written. And until that's changed... I'm not. I'm, well, well the I'm, laws the laws say it's at your discretion. You can say to the judge, "We're cool with this person going." You're saying you can say to the judge, "Under no circumstances can this person go. They're a threat to public safety." Or you can say to the judge, uh, "Put a price tag on them getting out." Well, that, that's that's not so simple because the person may have resources. They may not be the the biggest the biggest danger, but they may have resources can just leave the country today and be done with. So you have to have multiple considerations there. Uh, in my opinion. Uh, the cash bill uh, arguments that the district attorney is supposedly responsible for are basically designed to, to uh, distract from the real issues. The real issues are the serious crime that's going on. Everybody's talking about cash bail, but you got far more serious crimes in front of you. You have murders. You have open-air drug market. You have homicides. You have hate crimes. And, you, and people are talking about these hypothetical instances where cash bail may be a problem. When it becomes a problem, I'll deal with it. All right. Our time's up. Maurice Chenier, thank you very much for speaking to us. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Maurice Chenier is currently a partner at the firm Resnick and Lewis, uh, the first of three candidates for San Francisco District Attorney that we will be interviewing this morning. The next is John Hamasaki, criminal defense attorney and a former member of the San Francisco Police Commission. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I'll start with the same question I, I did for Maurice. Uh, you get the office. What What are your priorities? Uh, you know, the, the first priority always has to be focusing on public safety and the most serious uh, dangers 
to the community, and that's that's going to be violent crime. I think you know everything else aside, when people hurt other people, that that's got to be a priority for the office. Um, and then you you can you can break out into the um, there, there's a whole host of other reforms that I'd like to bring in, into the office. Um, a lot of them are focused on around ending um, future crime. Right, once a case gets to the district attorney's office, the harm has generally already been done. Somebody's been hurt, some property's been damaged, somebody's uh, had some items stolen. And so, you know, uh, we do need to address accountability, but we need to do it in a smart way, which is uh, trying to uh, respect and protect victims' rights while also uh, focusing on ending the cycle of recidivism through proven ways to reduce crime, such as um, you know, addressing substance abuse, something that we all talk about, but we haven't really done a great job, at least from the city side, in providing the ca- capacity. Mental health, same issue. Um, uh, you know, being unhoused and poverty and, and poor um, and, and people feeling to survive. We've got to work on addressing the root causes of crime. Um, and that's that's another big priority. Uh, because I think that that over overrides a to, lot of the local. To be numbers. clear, you you think the San Francisco District Attorney's Office can address <laughs> mental health issues and drug use? Can it address it? Yes, it, it can address it in the type of resolutions that the office seeks. Right. So there's um, the hammer that the prosecution has always used, which is uh, conviction and incarceration. There's also other tools which include um, drug diversionary programs, drug courts, veterans courts, uh, um, mental health courts. And so I think I would be more interested in uh, long-term solutions than – I mean, it's easy to get a a conviction and um, a jail sentence out of a case. But at the end of that, that's not doing anything to address the underlying causes of the crime. I, I want to ask you, John Hamasaki, I, I believe you're the only candidate we're going to interview uh, who was an outspoken opponent of the recall of Chancellor Boudin. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything that you thought he got wrong that you would do district uh, different if you were district attorney? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've gotten this question a few times. Um, I oppose recalls on principle. Um, I, I, I've oppose all of the recalls from the governor to Jason Boudin. I think there has to be some sort of cause mechanism. So we're not just letting high powered dark money donors control our electoral process. Uh, you know, as far as, as uh, former district attorney Boudin's uh, running of the office practices, policies, and so forth. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty I'll do different. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an independent candidate. I'm not really running on Jason Boudin's legacy or the mayor's, um, you know, wishes and desires, but rather what I think is best for the city and county of San Francisco, which is addressing public safety uh, independently of, of the, some of the outside interests that I think have really um, harmed our system through the politicalization of the criminal justice system. Well, I want to ask you about uh, two things that seem to be in play this election. The, mm-hmm. the first, the policy of not seeking cash bail, uh, initially instituted by George Gascon, uh, and then Chesa Boudin as district attorney, the restrictions on prosecutors seeking cash bail for pretrial detention. Uh, 
have been softened by the current district attorney, Brooke Jenkins. What would you do with it? Right. So, you know, the fight against cash bail has existed from the ground level grassroots people uh, all the way up to, you know, the Supreme Court uh, in Humphreys. Um, poverty shouldn't be the determining factor in whether or not somebody stays in jail, period. Okay. And so if somebody is a danger to the community or a significant flight risk, uh, you argue for, uh, for them to stay in custody. If somebody is poor and somebody is rich and is charged with the same crime and it's a low level crime, um, I think it's best practices uh, now throughout the state to uh, eliminate cash bail uh, based on somebody's ability to pay. The second is the the pending prosecutions of San Francisco Police Department officers. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the two currently facing homicide charges, Christopher Samoyoa, Samayoa, who mm-hmm. killed Keita O'Neill, and Kenneth Cha, who mm-hmm. killed Sean Moore. Uh, Brooke Jenkins hit the pause button on those prosecutions. If they move ahead, they won't move ahead until after Election Day. What would you do with them? Look, uh Police cases, uh, you know, I know this from the police commission. Uh, there's there's multiple investigations that go on with these police shootings <clears throat> through DPA, Department of Police Accountability, through the district attorney's office. Um, sometimes the attorney general's office may get involved. Look, there's a incredibly thorough, nobody gets their cases uh, reviewed more thoroughly than police cases because there's a lot of factors that are taken into account um, before before these cases are brought and they end up being highly political. So I'm going to assume in most cases that my uh, predecessor uh, got it right. I don't see anything, in, you know, I don't have the, the, the internal file at this point, but um, from everything I've seen, there's no reason to put a pause or delay um, cases that have been around for, I think it's three and five years almost. Um, and I'll say, you know, decimating the IIB, uh, the department within the, the uh, district attorney's office that investigates police has been hugely problematic. Um, the current district, interim district attorney removed uh, an individual attorney who had been working on the Cato O'Neill case for uh, an, an experienced attorney for a long time and was had a close relationship with the family. The family's asked that he remain on and the district attorney demoted him instead. Uh, so, you know, I would give these levels the proper priority, I mean, sorry, these cases, the proper priority they deserve. And I've seen nothing that uh, would cause me to in any way uh, change the course of prosecution. How would you prioritize Property crime, theft, vandalism, things like that. Nope. Yeah. So you know, property crime, vandalism. Uh, you know, cases where there's not say entry into somebody's home or uh, you know things that implicate more serious laws. I hope that there's ways that we can we can break the cycle of of uh, recidivism. Right. Low level property crimes are generally the result of, of poverty. Um, we've done a, a pretty poor job of, of reentry of people cycling through 
the criminal justice system and having the resources on the other side to, to break the cycle. And, you know, those resources can look like uh, job, vocational training, um, finding ways for people to uh, get this, connecting them with, with the service that they, that they need in order to, um, you know, stop making uh, the types of choices and mistakes that they have been making. Because when you see cases like petty theft, um, a lot of times, a lot of times there's a first time offender who's, you know, just wanted to, uh, try to beat the system or make ends meet. Um, and that person should be given a chance before they, they enter the criminal justice system to, uh, address the underlying, uh, causes of crime. Now, you know, people who have been doing it a long time or the, the organized crime rings, I think are really the focus, you know, what, um, one of the big uh, successes of the last administration was actually bringing down an organized uh, international property crime ring. I think those are the cases that can really impact uh, property crime because, you know, the low-level people at the street uh, doing property crime, it, it, it's they, they need somewhere to fence it. And that's basically what the, the operation brought down was somebody who was fencing these and bringing them shipping them in, in uh, cargo containers, I think, uh, internationally. Um, so, you know, property crime is, is serious to the people that are impacted. Um, and so we need to take them with the right level of seriousness while also, um, you know, in, in first-time cases, giving people a chance to, to get back on the right path. What does that mean concretely? Uh, someone with no priors gets caught walking out of Walgreens with $100 worth of merchandise that they didn't pay for. What do you do with that case? Okay, that's a that's a, a misdemeanor, um, and in that case, uh, you know, and I've dealt with a lot of those cases. Um, you know, it, it's I, and I've represented everybody from college kids doing it because they didn't get their financial aid in time to, um, you know, kid other. <laughs> people doing it as a prank to people doing it because they're poor. Like, uh, you know, you or I are probably not going to go out and try to steal some food or something you can sell for a few dollars because we need that money. Right. And so concretely, um, we give them a chance. We get, we, there's, there's, uh, shoplifting diversion. Um, there's some classes that you can take. And then, you know, what happens after that is uh, there's got to be escalating consequences for continuing crime. And, you know, you get that first shot, but if you're going to keep doing the same thing, uh, you know, we're going to go a different way. All right. John Hamasaki, that's all the time we have. Thanks for speaking to us. Hey, great talking to you today. Thanks for having me on. Continuing our interviews with candidates for district attorney in San Francisco, we'll turn now to Joe Alioto Veronese. He's a principal at the Alioto Law Group, also a former San Francisco Police Commission member and a former California Criminal Justice Commission member. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Managing. Let's say you win the election. What are your priorities? Uh, action. You know, the people of San Francisco, they, uh, they, they deserve to be safe. They, uh, deserve to be safe walking the streets. They deserve to be safe in their property and, uh, just taking action immediately, sending the signal that we're not going to tolerate the, uh, the rampant crime that is occurring in San Francisco. We're not going to tolerate the, um, the abuse of the government in, um, 
in not addressing mental health, uh, not addressing addiction, uh, and not addressing homelessness, and uh, the violent crime that's coming from outside of San Francisco to prey on our vulnerable people. It's really about taking action and uh, and not doing press conferences and passing policies and getting headlines like that. It's not it's not about the policy. It's about the action, and that's uh, that's going to be the uh, the difference between me and the interim district attorney. What is the action a prosecutor's office can take to resolve homelessness and addiction? Well, uh, so what happens with addiction is that uh, eventually, when it's not addressed, it turns into a criminal justice issue, right? So, um, so addiction is not typically a criminal justice issue, but when it's not addressed, it can definitely become a criminal justice issue. So uh, what we can do is we can hold government accountable. There's more than $3.5 billion every year that's spent on homelessness, addiction, and, um, and mental health. And it's a matter of making sure that uh, we audit those contracts. We make sure that the metrics are being met on those contracts and, uh, and make sure that we're spending the money um, accordingly, that we're holding people accountable and not just handing out billions and uh, millions and billions of dollars to, uh, to the mayor's friends I, in the nonprofit. I, I, I take your point, but, but you're running for, you're running for DA, not, not for auditor. Are you saying you'd open a criminal investigation into how San Francisco spends its money? Yeah. Absolutely. I would I would investigate and audit all of the nonprofit uh, um, contracts that the uh, the city has given out over the last two years. There's more than a billion dollars worth uh, that's going out. And frankly, what we're seeing on the streets is that these issues are not being addressed. And, and uh, there are anecdotal uh, um, there's anecdotal evidence that there uh, that there is uh, some criminal justice issues and, and some crimes that are being committed with these contracts. And so we just need to make sure that um, that worker protections are also being addressed. This is a major issue that the unions are having with these contracts as well. Um, we're seeing that people are being taken advantage of, that uh, that living wages are not being um, uh, addressed in these contracts, and that uh, you know the mayor's just having her way, handing out millions of dollars to her friends. In an interview with the San Francisco Standard, you said, uh, although you did not publicly endorse the recall of Chesa Boudin, you voted for it? Absolutely. So what, what was happening is uh, more than a year ago, as I was uh, ramping up my campaign, I started meeting with some fundraisers and meeting with people. And I saw what was happening in the background uh, with the uh, the recall campaign. I saw all the money that was piling up. Um, I saw all the people that were uh, that were getting behind it and uh, and all of the dirty tricks behind it. And so I decided to distance myself from it, although uh, I agreed with uh, with recalling Chase Boudin. I, I, I believe he'd make a great public defender. He's uh, he's extremely smart, and uh, but he isn't. He was not appropriate for the position of district attorney. So I, I did support the, uh, I did vote for the recall, but I did not support the recall effort. Except with your vote. Well, well, no, I supported the recall. I did not support the recall effort that was going on and all the people that are behind it. See, currently we see those very same people that are running. Um, uh, interim district attorney uh, Jenkins's campaign. It's all of the same parties, and it all started um, way before the DA had quit her job. They had recruited her to quit her job, gave her a a job with a nonprofit that paid actually three nonprofits that paid more than one hundred fifty seven thousand. Uh, they moved her to San Francisco, got her an apartment by the Criminal Justice uh, Safety Building, and uh, and so this was all in the works from the very beginning. To say that it wasn't is uh, is just not true. I saw it all happening, and I was actually meeting with some of the people early on, um, and they had uh, you know it, it was very clear what was happening early on.
I want to get into a, a couple specific uh, issues under the jurisdiction of the DA's office that the, the recall has kind of um, thrown into play. Uh, first is the question of cash bail as a policy. Under yeah. Chesa Boudin, the DA's office was not seeking cash bail. If they thought someone was a threat to public safety or a flight risk, they said, you know, keep them incarcerated till they go to trial. Um, and if they thought they could be safely released, they didn't want to attach a price tag to that. Uh, that's been made somewhat mushier. Now uh, prosecutors in the DA's office are allowed to pursue cash bail and, and to do it without review by a manager. Uh, what would your position be on that? Cash bail is inherently discriminatory. Um, you know, the rich shouldn't get a pass in the criminal justice system. But what you can't do, uh, which is what happened under uh, Boudin's administration, is just, um, you know, do away with uh, a, a mechanism that the criminal that has been with the criminal justice system before the founding of our country um, without replacing it with some sort of alternative that gets people to come back to court. Uh, and that's the whole purpose of cash bail. So what we need to do is we need to work very hard with the legislature. And I know that in the past they've tried to do this. Uh, they tried to abolish cash bail and it was brought back by a state proposition by the voters. Um, but I think that's because there were no alternatives. It was just a matter of, hey, we're going to eliminate this thing and we're going to give the judges the the uh, the, the, the discretion. Um, it, that uh, And the voters didn't like that. And so they, they brought it back. And uh, what we need to do is work really hard to come up with some alternatives and a um, – uh, a group of alternatives. This isn't just one, right? This is we just need to start thinking outside the box and working hard with the legislature. So, uh, yes, cash bail does discriminate. We do need to do away with it, but we can't do away with it without putting some alternative in place. I want to be clear what that means. Day one, you're in office. Do you tell your prosecutors to stop asking for cash bail? No, we we continue to use cash bail until we uh, can put some sort of alternative in there. But we have to pay very close attention to make sure that we are not using it as a tool of oppression against people of color, uh, as a tool of oppression against people that uh, that in, in the alternative don't have um, a way to uh, uh, to pay for the bail. So we have to just be very what's, careful. What, that what's the alternative? How long does it take to get it in place? Well, it look, you got to work with the legislature. I mean, that's, that's what district attorneys do, right? They have to change the – if you're going to reform the criminal justice system, you have to reform it well, from they, the inside. You can't just. But, but you the can't district just attorney's office up, got rid of cash happened. bail. The district attorney's office got rid of cash bail once already. They used alternatives like ankle monitors on people they thought were flight risks. I, I, I guess I'm pressing you to be specific because you say you're against cash bail, but you wouldn't get rid of it right away. What's See, your timeline? What are you going to put in place as an alternative? We, 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 this is a system that's existed for more than 200 years. Right. So this is not going to change overnight. Criminal justice reform doesn't happen overnight. And I think that was the problem with Boudin is that the public safety was put at risk in the alternative. And, and, and that's something that we absolutely cannot do. The, the district attorney's number one job is to keep people safe in San Francisco. So, yeah, you do have to look at some of the alternatives, but you can't do it um, at the risk of not keeping people safe. And that's what would happen under under Chase of Boudin. So, yeah, there are alternatives. There are ankle bracelets. There are all these different things. But but what was happening under uh, the former administration, currently under this administration as well, is some of the other branches in law enforcement were not being utilized to keep people safe. So when you have someone out on an ankle bracelet, you've got to make sure that you've got either the police department, the sheriff's department, parole or probation, depending on the circumstance, right, watching that person, making sure that that ankle bracelet is actually being utilized in a way that's keeping people safe. That hasn't happened in the past. So it, it depends entirely on the, the circumstance of the crime that was committed. 
Um, and uh, just by way of example, let's just use a, a current example. The, uh, the groper that's out on the street today that was arrested just a few weeks ago and let out almost immediately, right? That is not keeping people safe. Um, we need to make sure that, that they're, they're connected with some sort of law enforcement branch that is watching that person. Because what you're seeing now in San Francisco is you're seeing women fending for themselves. And that's not okay. That is a failure at the district attorney's office, a failure at the very top of the criminal justice system. So if you go on next door, you see women passing around pictures. Oh, I spotted him here. I spotted him there. Stay away from him. That's a, a failure of our system. We're not keeping people safe. And it's a very good example of how an alternative could potentially work. That person needs to be in a program, not out in the public uh, where they can terrorize, continue to terrorize women of San Francisco. Uh, the other question I want to ask you about is the the pending charges against members of the San Francisco police force. Uh, Christopher Samayoa. Yeah. Kenneth Cha, both facing homicide charges originally bought by Chesa Boudin as district attorney. Right. Uh, the actual prosecutions have been pushed back to after Election Day by Brooke Jenkins, who hasn't uh, made any statement one way or the other about whether she intends to proceed with them. What would you do with those cases? And, and you won't see her proceed with them. She's being backed by the POA. You can see that in her funding dollars that have been uh, uh, disclosed. And uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. She is avoiding the prosecution of police officers, which is not good for San Francisco. It's not good for transparency. It's not good for uh, the criminal justice system at large. What I would do is I'd take a look at every case individually. There are certain cases that absolutely need to be prosecuted. There are cases currently that need to be prosecuted, um, and uh, and we need to do that aggressively. And we not we we can't just stand by and and punt these cases into you know after the election day so that we can take. You know, courageless but, but, uh, decisions. And but so I'll when, take a look at every finish, case me, individually. Finish, is exactly what finish. she says she's doing. No, 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 no. The difference so what, is this: she's not doing that. She's not prosecuting those cases. She's punted them until after the election, so that she could get rid of them. Which is the very same thing that is happening with the mayor's brother, by the way. But but getting back to the issue of prosecuting police officers, the difference between what I'm doing uh, and what what either Chase Boudin is doing and what and what Brooke Jenkins is doing is that I have been through two police academy classes. I've been a police officer. I've patrolled the streets of San Francisco. I know what it's like to be a police officer. I know what it's like to get the training that they have received. Uh, and what we need to make sure is that we don't prosecute police officers for doing what they've been trained to do. And that's where Chase have failed. And that's why the last case that he tried didn't uh, that the jury acquitted that individual. And what that does is it, it demoralizes the police departments. We need to make sure we do not prosecute police officers for doing what they're trained to do. We need to change the training. That's what we need to do. But in very certain circumstances, and there are a couple of those cases currently ongoing right now at the DA's office that are being punted by this DA, you need where they act outside of their uh, outside of their training. You need to prosecute those guys, and and it's and it's an important uh, message to send to police officers that we're going to hold you accountable for your training. Uh, and that's currently not what we're doing. All right, Joe Alioto, Veronese, we've uh, reached the, the equal time we're given each candidate. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. All right, that is three of the four candidates for San Francisco District Attorney. The fourth, obvious, is the appointed incumbent, Brooke Jenkins, who's come up a bunch during these interviews. We started reaching out to her campaign last month to try to get her into this morning's lineup. Uh, we sent several emails and made several phone calls, and they never got back to us about anything specific regarding scheduling. So 
Uh, we don't let that stop us from covering a race. We had reserved the final 10 minutes of this program uh, for her in case she made a last-minute decision to join us. Instead, we're going to be turning to someone who's been up to his elbows uh, covering the movements of money and policy and politics surrounding the San Francisco District Attorney, Joe Eskenazi, Managing Editor at Mission Local. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show. I, I think... Probably for people who aren't up to their elbows in these issues, uh, I, I should ask you for a thumbnail sketch of, uh, on the policies, how Brooke Jenkins is different from the other candidates. It's a complicated question because there's, um, there's the policies and then there's, then there's how you put it. Uh, so, so Brooke Jenkins, um, there hasn't been uh, draconian uh, crackdowns of the sort that you would expect in Rudy Giuliani's uh, New York City, but uh, there's always the specter of that uh, floated before voters, that fentanyl dealers could be tried for murder uh, <laughs> or, um, or or just, you know, uh, uh, get tough policies of the sort that would uh, appeal to a put-upon population uh, that's tired of, of Uh, let's be frank, tired of watching others suffer and watching others prey upon the community. I would say that the majority of the people who vote and certainly the ones that uh, Brooke Jenkins is messaging to are not um, on the street and (laughs) and in the throes of the Tenderloin and Soma's uh, ongoing uh, drug and crime problems. So uh, it's a difficult question, Brian, because uh, there there does seem to be, you know, uh, what you say and what you do. Let me pick up on on where we left things with Joe Alioto Veronese. Um, it, it, it is actually historic that there are homicide charges pending against two members of the San Francisco police force right now. Uh, that that police department has existed for a hundred and seventy three years uh, without a police officer ever facing homicide charges until now. What do we know about where those prosecutions are? and uh, how the outcome of the election will determine what happens. Uh, I would say that uh, what Joe Alioto Veronese said was uh, certainly uh, an arguable point. Uh, The family uh, of Keita O'Neill, who was the carjacking suspect that was shot dead uh, by rookie officer Krista Samayoa, have all but accused Brooke Jenkins of uh, the put-it-off, put-it-off, blow-it-off strategy. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, it's... At this point, it's incumbent on them to explain what they're going to do. Um, there have been uh, noticeable delays until after November, uh, so uh, it, it 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 would it would not be a cynic who says uh, that these are being put off until after the election. Certainly, uh, the the theme of cops uh, overstepping the bounds and uh, and uh, and the use of police force as uh, a driving issue seems to have uh, lost its shelf date uh, very quickly. And that does not seem to be uh, what concerns, uh, you know, the powers that be in San Francisco right now. Let's talk a little bit about what's confronting Brooke Jenkins now. A significant ethics complaint was filed against her over her role in the recall campaign. She was on the, the payroll of several nonprofits that were entangled with the recall effort Um but did not disclose that her pay had anything to do with the campaign. H- how serious an uh, uh, ethics problem would that be if the allegations and the complaint bear out? Um, what, what would it mean for her as DA? Well, uh, 
my read is that uh, it would be a, a chunk of change one could lose and that there could be serious questions about one's uh, well-being and one's ethics and honesty, but I don't know that it's going to be a detriment with voters at all. San Francisco voters are extremely tolerant, and that's for the best most of the time, but it also means that you can tolerate an awful lot of skullduggery from your elected leaders or kind of just shrug your shoulders and say that's what, that's what politicians do, kind of ignoring the fact that's what you let politicians do. Uh, the situation you're talking about is a bit complicated because it involves a 501c3 charity and a 501c4. And, you know, by now people's eyes are glazing over if they aren't already at this early hour because of, uh, you know, it's not well known what the differences are. But one of those you can do political advocacy and one of them you can't. And the, ab- the, the, the allegation is that um, her pay was essentially backfilled. So she claimed she was a volunteer on the recall campaign. Uh, Ms. Jenkins has said that she was uh, hired to do policy work on Proposition 47, uh, which strains credulity because she's not a policy expert, because that's a, you know, what, a seven or eight or nine-year-old policy that there's been, you know, plenty of academic studies. Uh, And she was paid something akin to $150,000 for this over the course of six months, which is pretty good money. (laughs) Uh, So uh, her explanation is... is, um, very difficult to uh, to accept uh, on its face, and when asked to uh, to provide the work product that would uh, at least go toward proving this uh, odd hypothesis, she has claimed uh, attorney-client privilege. Uh, so it's not been a good look. But the question is, you know, does it need to be for voters to vote for her? Well, and le- like legally, is that a problem for her, or is that a problem for the five hundred one c three that is not supposed to be putting tax exempt money into financing campaign operatives? My understanding, and I could be mistaken on this, is that it's more of a problem for the uh, for for the uh, uh, the payee, the person. Sorry, the yeah, the payer rather, the one paying the money. They would be the ones that would be taking the the brunt here. It you know, it's never good for an elected official to get caught. Uh, in a money scandal, uh, but you know, it, at that point, it would be uh, up to um, up to the voters of San Francisco to decide how much this means to them. Big picture, Joe. Um, pretty much every candidate we spoke to talk uh, spoke about a, a crime wave in San Francisco. Uh, I, I don't get over to the West Bay as much as I did pre-pandemic. Uh, how how terrified are you right now? You know, uh, I'm certainly not terrified about uh, fentanyl dealers targeting my six and seven year olds. Uh, that's that's a crazy thing, and that's something that our district attorney actually said out loud during a press conference. Um, I I have to tell you, you know, um, Chase Boudin learned uh, the hard way that you don't minimize people's feelings about crime by pointing them towards a spreadsheet and saying, "But actually." Uh, so you can't do that. The emotional impact of crime is real and not all crimes are alike uh during the pandemic burglaries went up whereas car burglaries went down and the sense of violation when someone breaks into your home which you may be in more often because of the pandemic uh, is very real with that said um you can't just you know start making policy based upon anecdotal uh crime reports and every indication is that it depends what crime you're talking about brian when you say there's a crime wave there's a ton of drug use in San Francisco. There's a ton of property crime in San Francisco. Violent crime is at you know a relatively low level for a big city. Uh, and if you look at it contextually, you know it's amazing the San Francisco Police Department made it through without any homicide charges because of all the stuff Dirty Harry did in the 70s, right? Uh, with that said, the 70s were a wild and crazy time. The 80s were a wild and crazy time. The 90s were a wild and crazy time. Uh, that doesn't make it good now. But we have to look at this you know realistically. 
Uh, violent crime in San Francisco is always a problem, certainly if it happens to you or, or your people. But it's, it's, it's not like it has been in much of the rest of the country. So, you know, it depends on what you want to do about property crime. And this is something that you can beat the drum all day long. The police do not make property crime arrests in San Francisco. And there are plenty of reasons for that. <laughs> the police are very disengaged. And I think people are coming out right now and admitting that they were, you know, not, not given it the college try under Chase Boudin. Uh, people talk about a lack of motivation and, you know, about de- demoralizing the police. But, you know, speaking as a member of a profession that actually has been defunded, uh, if I failed to do my job because I didn't feel like it, I would be replaced by somebody who did. <laughs> so at some point, that doesn't cut it, especially for a public servant. Oof. Joe Eskenazi, ending, ending with a hard truth about journalism. Always good to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me on your show. Joe Eskenazi, the managing editor at the nonprofit newsroom Mission Local, which covers San Francisco. That does it for this California ballot breakdown. A lot of these election segments air first as live interviews and debates on KPFA, mostly on Upfront, the show I host, which you can stream weekdays at 7 a.m. at kpfa.org. You can also subscribe to get all our election segments as their own podcast. Just search for California Ballot Breakdown wherever you subscribe to podcasts. A big thanks to Chris Lee, who produces these segments. My name is Brian edwards Teekert. Remember, in California, your vote often has more impact at the bottom of the ballot than at the top.